season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Homer Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. My name is Jay Shrigland and I'm the host. We're here today starting week four of the Arkansas Sticks times JKR podcast interview series. Uh, got four great episodes here this week, including three Arkansas Razorback commits. Today we're going to start it off with 2023 Arkansas commit Martavius Thomas on the podcast. Tomorrow is going to be uncommitted 2025 Luke Flanagan on the Arkansas Sticks team. Um, then Saturday it's going to be our first 2026 podcast guest. We got Spencer Browning on the podcast, just recently committed to Arkansas, that first commit for that 2026 class. Um, and then Sunday, we got Gideon Motes, uh, 2024 commit to Arkansas as well. Um, so like I said, four great episodes here this week, four great guests. But just digging in a little bit more into Martavius. So he's a top he's a top 2023 MLB draft prospect, going to get in some draft buzz right now. Probably, probably going to be a picked at some point, dependent on how the draft rolls out next summer. Um, but no, just potentially. He's just a great ball player, but actually potentially could have been an SEC quarterback as well, played two ways, but decided to, decided to commit to Arkansas just for baseball. Um, but just a great kid, really enjoyed digging into just his life and his life overall today. Um, today we discussed his draft buzz. We dig into some of his passions beyond the baseball field, little club that he started at his high school, helping uh, get kids in younger classes. Uh, we dig into the advisor selection process as well and the recruiting process on what ended up what ended him up at Arkansas, and just much more, like I said, just dig into his entire career and his entire life in general. Um, so let's dig into it. Hope you guys enjoy it. And welcome back to the JKR podcast. Today we have Arkansas Sticks, outfielder and middle infielder, 2023 commit for Arkansas baseball. We got Martavius Thomas on the podcast. Martavius, super pumped to get you on the show, man. Be part of this Arkansas stick series I got going on. So how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? I'm doing good, man. So it's middle of the day right now. You're in class, it looks like right now. So how'd you get away from class here for a little bit? Um, no, I'm um, actually um, I'm dressed up like this because um, I'm actually the president of an um, organization here at my school. So, um, yeah, we pretty much what we do is just, um, you know, we do a lot of charity and, uh, you know, we do a lot of um, like children outlook. You know, we go to elementary schools, help them, you know, um, get to school, you know, when the buses are coming through, we kind of direct the traffic. So, yeah, I mean, this is kind of thing I came up with and I just, you know, it's called Dress for Success. So, yeah, we always on Wednesdays, we dress up real nice. Okay, so did you create this organization, or how exactly did you get connected with them? Um, it started from my um, head principal. He came to me. He was like, "Hey, hey, prime, I wanna, you know, I wanna start something." And then we just start brainstorming on ideas for a couple of weeks last year, and then this is what we came up with. This year. Okay. So, so yeah, what? What are overall it's, like? It's, what, it's overall, so what are some of like the, the goals of the organization, and what exactly is the organization called? Um, it's called um Gent. So um basically it's um pretty much what we want to do is teach guys how to dress properly, how to what to say, how to shake a man's hand, how to tie a tie, 
pretty much your typical things on how to be being a man and becoming a young man, a successful man at that. And yeah, you know, we just, I mean, pretty much um, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be a kid, you can be a grown man. If you want to be in gym, you are welcome. So, yeah. So are these, are these kids that are a part of your school system or is it anyone from around the community? Um, community, we have community guys. We have uh, guys from my school, guys from the younger schools. It's, it's, it's pretty big, pretty, okay. pretty growing thing every day. So- so I how, mean, they, how, they see me come to school and they see me. With- so how, how do you guys go about teaching some of these kids and even some of these adults you guys have? How do you guys go about te- just teaching them overall, all the stuff? Um, so me, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say the head. So I'm kind of like the president of the organization. So pretty much what I do is I monitor. So I, I elected officers. So pretty much it's like, oh, so I got certain guys that I knew that could be leaders could lead the younger ones and the ones that are not, you know, on the right directly, you know, the right path of becoming a young man. And I kind of make them report to them every day. So you have to know what your mentor, you know, you're, okay, I like the mentor, basically. So you have to know, I, I selected them with a certain amount of mentees. So say if I'm a mentor, I have three mentees. I have to see them every day, every day a week. And I have to know their classes, know the lunch schedule, and I have to know how their grades are. So pretty much we're teaching, we're teaching uh, grades in the classroom, behavior, um, everyday life. So, I mean, like they can come to us about any questions they got, whether it's girls, school, like like at problems at home. It, I mean, it, it could be anything really because about me, where I'm from is like, is there unheard of for guys to like actually help others? So, you know, we're just trying to get that going in the school system because, I mean, we started now, it can keep building generation to generation. Of course. So do, how many, how many mentors do you guys have on in the organization as a whole? As of right now, we have 20. Okay. That's I'm trying to keep growing. Now that's pretty big. You got, you got anyone in mind to take your spot next year as you head off to Fayetteville? Uh, I have, I have a, I have about two or three, I think already, but not all the way ready yet. Okay. You know, cause it, this is, these are big shoes to fill for sure. sure. I can't say that. So do, do some do some of your mentors do they find it a challenge to make sure they see all three of their mentees every day? Like so when it comes oh. to like the for the younger kids, like are you guys in the same building or how how exactly yeah. do they go about like seeing all their all their mentees every day? That's where that's where the the difficulty comes into effect because I mean you have to go to that school, you have to like you have to be in contact, you have to know their teachers at different schools. Like it, it's it's a definitely big shoes to fill. So, I mean, that's where the um, challenge comes into play. But my mentors, they, the ones I've selected, they've done a pretty good job. I can't, I can't complain at all. You know, we haven't had to go to higher than me. We have to have to go higher up the chain since, since we started. So, I mean, they report pretty much everything to me, and they've done everything I've asked them to do, honestly. So how did, good. Really good. How, did, how did you go about finding all those mentors Cause you said you have 20 or so, like, how'd you go about finding them? And then what's like the age range? Like, is there like a, is it freshmen, sophomore, juniors, seniors, obviously, like what's the age range on your mentors? Um, The age range is pretty much, not, I, you have no age range. If, if I feel like you're, you're ready, you're a good enough leader. He can be an eighth grader. He can lead a senior, it, but if he's ready, he's ready. You know? So, I mean, yeah, the age really doesn't matter in our factor, but we try to keep it upperclassmen because you know, it can definitely become a challenge when a younger kid is trying to, you know, guide an older one. So I try to keep it like that. But but if it's, if it's a guy that's younger and he's ready, I mean, kind of push him out there, to, you know, let him get in the water a little bit. 
got to, got to, got to push him to his full potential. For sure. For sure. So, so moving on to actual, like, let's dig into your career a little bit. Um, So a great organization you have there. Love learning about that. Um, But let's kind of just dig into actual, the baseball side of things and football as well. Um, So there is one question I typically ask everybody as soon as they get on the podcast, kind of, you know, kind of interested me there with your organization. So I wanted to dig into that. All right. So that question is that I kind of do ask everybody at the beginning of the podcast is for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Martavius Thomas? Um, I would say Martavius Thomas is a, you know, very, very outgoing person. And, um, you know, he kind of likes to make people around him better more so than himself. And, um, He's a very hard worker because um, I use, I say that a lot because a lot of people look at my talent and they say they they, they kind of assume that I don't have to work for it and um it's just kind of God given but I really feel like I definitely put in the hard work for you know to the reap the benefits of my talents and what I put forth on the field and off the field as well because I mean I'm a hard worker in the classroom you know pretty much anything I do I want to be the best at it so I work real 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 hard. Of course. All right. So let's let's dig into just your travel ball and your high school experience here so far. Um, obviously, Coach Brewster is the reason we got connected. So let's kind of dig into that program a little bit. So how exactly did you get connected with the Arkansas Sticks? Um, crazy. Um, so I was actually playing for a whole nother organization. And uh, I remember I always played three years up. I always see when I was see when I first met Coach Brewster, I was maybe twelve or thirteen. I was a 16, 17-year-old. And, then, I mean, it was – I'm not going to say it was easy, but I was kind of, you know, I was kind of showing him up a little bit. And um, I remember Coach Brewster reaching out to me on Twitter. He was like, hey, man, I have a place where you need to be. And that's all he said. He said, I need you to get you on sticks. And um, pretty much it went from there. So, like, um, he pretty much treated me like I was his son, pretty much, honestly. And um, he just always he took my family in. He loved us like we were his own. And, um, yeah, pretty much we just – we linked up maybe my ninth grade summer going into 10th grade. And um, I played, I played with his team and I liked it at first. I wasn't. And then the next year I wasn't coming back. There was a possibility that I wasn't coming back. I was going to play with another organization. And he told me, this is where you need to be. And he just left it at that. And my parents love sticks. So they were like, yeah, we're going back. That, that's who you're going to finish your high school summer career with. Yeah. Yeah. I've been with America. So you say you say Coach Brewster's kind of like family to you. So kind of dig into what your relationship is like with Coach Brewster, kind of maybe the first time you interacted with him in person all the way up to now to how it's kind of evolved. Um, Really, Coach Brewster, him knowing kind of where I live at, where I'm from, and like what – like the, adapt, the, adapt, the, the way he talks to me and the way that he carries me. So pretty much what I'm saying here is he kind of um, – he has his own way of connecting with me, you know, but certain things that I can connect to and that I can relate to that he knows that I relate to. So pretty much he just, I mean, he just, um, he, he made me feel comfortable. That was a big thing. Would I be comfortable playing for his organization more so than not? And um, pretty much, I pretty much felt like, felt better. I've never played with a better, better organization as far as comfortability wise, talent and so forth. So yeah, he, I mean, he just really just, Hey man, you can stay at my house. Like he was pretty much, you know, like a brother or an uncle that you never had, you know? So, I mean, there's nothing I could never ask him for. Nothing I couldn't tell him. I mean, we we just had that come. We always had that conversation. Those type of conversations. We always had that connection. Yeah. So so out of all the guys, Coach Brewster, all the other guys in the Arkansas Sticks program, uh, maybe some trainers that you've had in the past. Like, who do you think would be maybe the handful of guys who have been most influential in your baseball career so far? 
Um, okay, first off, I will say uh, Steve Landers, Coach Steve Landers. He is a big, big part of not even on the field, but how I carry myself. He is um he's a man of great honor, and um I respect him a lot. I respect him a lot. He takes care of his business. He's um he's he's done a lot for me and my family. So yeah, he's pretty pretty cool. And um another guy I can say is um Dirk Kenny. He's a scout with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. He's pretty much um you know he's man he's taught me a lot of stuff as far as um athletic wise, hidden whether it's life, talking to my mom like you know he just I mean he's always treated me like I was you know one of his. So yeah um he's like an actual really really big you know and then um one more guy I'm gonna say I'm gonna say um oh this is tough man you got me you got me this is tough um okay I'm gonna have to go with it though Caesar Abreu Caesar Abreu um. He's more of the physical playing side. He's, he's um, he switch hit coming in, and I mean, he just really taught me how to really maximize my strength. You know, being a smaller statue guy, you have to, you know, you have to maximize your strength. So I mean, that's just kind of what I got good at maximizing my strength. So yeah, he's taught me a lot more of the physical side, and then Steve Landers and and Coach Dirk Kenny, they taught me more mental and like more like how to carry myself as a ball player, as a big leaguer, in their words. So Abreu, he's another he's another sticks coach, is he not? Or somehow he's affiliated with the sticks? He is. He's a sticks okay. coach. All right. So that's four for four. Brewster, Kenny, Slanders, and Abreu. So obviously, I mean, that those four guys are a big reason the sticks are very successful when it comes to, I mean, producing talent, developing talent, just going up to the next level. Um, but just with you kind of being an insider of the Arkansas Sticks program, having those great relationships with those guys, what do you think's led? to all the success the Arkansas Sticks program has seen these past couple of years. Obviously, now nowadays when they're sending probably 12, 15 guys a year to Power 5 or getting drafted. So, I mean, they've evolved quite a bit these past couple of years since you've came on board. So just with you being an insider, what do you think has led to that success? Um, Everybody buying in. And, um, pretty much um, Coach Brewster just, um, you know, being, being a real person, being a legit person and, and kind of um, knowing the guys that he has as far as, um, I mean, because honestly, everybody loves a winner. So, I mean, a player doesn't even have to be the most talented, but if he's on a winning team, it'll get contagious. So the talent will be there eventually. So I feel like everyone buying into the program and just pretty much um, everybody just, you know, doing their part and to make us successful as possible is pretty much what led to people, you know, getting drafted, going power five. So, I mean, yeah, him actually like, you know, just, is having guys on board with them and having the right people in the right corners because it, it, um, a lot of organizations, I can really say a lot of organizations don't, they have the talent, but they don't have the right players in the, I mean, in the right places. And Coach Brewster and all, Coach Dirk Kenny and Coach Landers, Coach Abreu, they do a really good job of putting the right guys in the right positions to succeed every time. So, so as you had, so you had to Jupiter, you said to m- the Friday after your game, you said you had to Jupiter. So I, I'm going to go ahead and assume, I'm going to go ahead and assume that this is your last travel ball event, correct? With it being fall ball and then the spring next year? Well, it'll be this and then January you got uh, MLK. Okay. Okay. Okay, so as you head down to your last couple summer, uh, well, just last travel ball events, kind of if you're looking back on oh, your right. travel – if, as you look back into your travel ball career, what would be some just key memories or just some key things that come to your head when you think about playing for the sticks or just playing uh, travel ball as a whole? Um, something that uh, something that was always stuck with me um, that um, coach um, actually coach Steve Landers told me a long time ago, and he and he would he would remind me this every game, and he would always tell me God doesn't make players like you all the time, 
and that always stuck with me because I mean I've heard a lot of you know I've heard a lot of buzz and a lot of hype how good I am but that one always stuck with me because even when I'm struggling and even when I'm pretty much um, down on how maybe I'm hidden not as hidden as much as I, I want to or I think I should be he would always tell me God doesn't make players like you and I would always remember that and um yeah so pretty much the honor and and um and uplifting how uplifting the program is is pretty much what makes me think of sticks when I think of I think of Coach Brewster, of course, and I think of Coach Landers and all those great guys. But I also think of that quote that Coach Landers always told me, that God doesn't make players like you. So, um, yeah, for them to even, like, think of me that much and then um, to, for them to even think about me that much, um, think that highly of me is a great success because, I mean, you've seen the guys that came through Sticks organization. We've had the top guys. So, I mean, for them to even say that about little old me, it's a big, you know, it's a big, it's definitely a big accomplishment in my in my mind for sure. So besides playing for the sticks, obviously, like I mean, we've talked about here these past couple of minutes, the great relationships you have, just the way that they think of you, and just how successful their program is. You also got to be a part of Area Code in 2021. So let's kind of talk about that a little bit, kind of how you got invited, and overall, just what that whole experience was like for you. Um, honestly, the only thing I can say about that is I went on a tear that summer. I was. I, I yeah, I, I that was one of my best summers I've had, you know, you know, probably in my career, more so in my career. And um I was just playing in front of the right eyes, honestly. You know, I was I was I was doing the right thing in front of the right eyes. I was hustling on and off the field, you know, first one in the dugout, you know, first one out. So I mean, really just playing the game the right way and it'll reward you. You know, it all they always say that you play the game the right way, it'll always reward you. So yeah, pretty much I mean I remember um, a specific tournament I played. It. We played in uh, at PBR, PBR at Lake Point. I think it was my first tournament with sticks ever, and um, first pool tournament with sticks. And um, man, I think I ended the tournament with batting like like seven hundred. And I um, a lot of you know, you know, as you get a lot of scouts coming up to you, you know, you know, they tell you that you know you have potential and stuff like that. They'll keep eyes on you. And um, a specific guy I saw, he told me, he said, "I'll see you soon." I didn't didn't know I would didn't think anything of it. It was the um Chicago White Sox um area scout and he was just letting me know like hey probably two weeks later he sent me the email like hey we want your area code man fill this out let's get it going and um yeah so really just get in front of the right eyes and just you know playing the playing the game the right way you know just letting God do the rest honestly. So 2021, where you were just tearing it all up in all, every tournament you went to, we're talking to some scouts. Uh, what were what were some conversations you had with scouts, maybe some stuff that stuck with you, um, and just some things that they would talk about you with? Because obviously in 2021, you're still a little bit away from moving up to the next level to college or pro ball. Uh, so kind of just take us through what some of those conversations are like with scouts. Um, They were, they were pretty – I can say my experience with scouts are great. See, a lot of people, their processes are different. You know, they have different processes. Mine was great, honestly, I can say, because I got a lot of knowledge on and off, for on and off the field, just how to carry myself, how to be a big leaguer, how to walk, talk like a big leaguer. And um, honestly, my conversations went like, hey, man, you have potential. But they always told me potential is just another word for you having done it yet. So for them to even let me know I have potential, it made me go harder, practice harder, 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 harder. And so, yeah, man, me. My conversation with scouts were like, hey, how, how, like, how do you, how do you want to be remembered? 
Like how, like, how do you want to, you know, how successful do you want to be? You know, and I just would, I would always tell them, Hey, I want to be, I want to be a hall of famer one day. You know, I want to be one of the best to ever do it. And that was, that was always my, you know, that was always my thing growing up. My, my, um, my conversation with scouts were great. Honestly, they gave me knowledge, you know, how to play the game the right way, you know, certain tips on, you know, swinging, you know, just, just everything that comes into the game, you know, because obviously, I'm known for the flash of the game, you know, the speed, the bat, you know, stuff like that, make the diving catches. So they would just make it, make sure I maximize all my strength and put it all together and not just splurge it out, be, this is really good here, but this is not as good. They want me to, you know, have a good balance of all my strengths and weaknesses as well. Of course. So with your goal, with your dream being to make the Hall of Fame, that's what you've been telling people. What is the next step in this process for you? What are some key things you're wanting to dial in on these next couple of years to make that happen? Consistency. Be the most consistent baseball player ever. Not, not, not as far as just not as just at the plate, not just on defense, not making throws, not making the right reads in the outfield, not, not fielding the ball, make, not making a two ball. You know, being the best overall consistent baseball player. Like, I don't want to have any weakness. I want to maximize my strength and make my weaknesses a strength. And also, um, pretty much, really what I've been thinking about, um, my dad, he always told me a special quote. He would always tell me, you should do what others aren't willing. And I've really stuck by that my whole life. So pretty much if, if a guy takes 200 swings, I'm going to take 201 swings. I'm just going to do what he's not going to do, what he's not willing. You know, in order to be the best, you have to train like the best. You have to walk like the best. You have to talk like the best. So, I mean, pretty much just, you know, doing what they're not going to do you know, not being at work every day. So every day I wake up, I'm, I have it on my mind. I have it actually on my dresser, be great. Do what they're not going to do. So, you know, I just, you know, just put that, take all that in and just, you know, go get at it. Just whatever sport I'm playing, go get at it, have at it. Let's just say that's the perfect answer I was looking for. As soon as you, as soon as you said that, I knew that was the next question I was going with. That's, that's going to be, that's going to definitely get that little quote right there from that question to that answer is definitely going to be on the Instagram, TikTok, going to make sure we get that out to the public. That was, that was definitely like the perfect thing I was looking for when, when you said that, but just digging into the area code experience just a little bit deeper. Uh, when you got there, what were some, what were like, what was the average day look like for you? Just going day to day, going through playing up against some of those, that, that t- best talent in the nation. Uh, just take us through what that day to day to day looked like for you. Um, first off, I was the most nervous person in the ballpark for sure. Because I mean, when you, when you walk into the ballpark, I say they're probably what, about 300 scouts in the stands. So I mean, like me being a small town kid, that was rare. I've never, I had never seen it before. So yeah, I was definitely nervous. But the thing that I learned was how to train like a big league. So we would have a game at maybe 2 30, 3 o'clock. We'd be there at eight. We'd hit. All we would hit, we'd warm up for like two hours. We'd eat. We'll, we'll take a break, maybe an hour or so. We get right back at it though. We, you know, we we'd hit, make sure we're loose. Then we play the game. So I mean, but every average every day was wake up, breakfast, train all day. Let's play the game, but like the right way. And it, and the atmosphere was just crazy. Like it was phenomenal. Like you you couldn't you can buy that anywhere. You know, um, the the coaches. The coaches for the different organizations would they would come from across the field. you know just giving us pointers so I I remember I can tell you a specific time um, I made a I made a play in center and I, I was burnt at first 
So I, I, I turn around and I sprint to the wall and I jump. If you can kind of recall, it was like kind of like a Bo Jackson catch. And he caught the ball and he ran up the wall. I kind of did something like that. And um, and what really stuck with me, the coach, it was a coach that wasn't even coaching in the game. We weren't playing against him. And he wasn't one of our coaches. He came in our dugout from another side of the ball, like from another, like from another side of the ballpark. And he just came over and he was just, he introduced himself to me. He was like, hey man, that's a great catch. And and then I just, and them, them celebrating me and, you know, just letting me know that that's a good job. That's, that's kind of what drove me to want to do more of that, you know, because anybody that has success, they get a little bit of success. They want to keep, you know, keep doing that, keep going in that direction. So that's kind of what stuck with me, just the atmosphere of them celebrating me and just making sure they know that I'm doing a great job. Because, I mean, definitely me being a small-town kid, I had never seen or imagined being in L.A. playing in front of a million scouts. So, yeah, it was just pretty much the love and the care and the caution that they treated us with, for sure. So with all those area with all those area code uh, coaches being there and just being all all the way from around the nation, kind of not really knowing who you are, what are some ways that you went about like picking their brain? Because obviously everyone has a different mind within baseball. So when you were around different coaches besides Brewster, Landers, Abreu, um, Dirk Kenny, when you're around the, some of those new coaches, how did you go about picking their brain and just kind of seeing what their mindset was on baseball? Um, the first thing I asked every last one of them. I said, Coach, what do you look for when you when you want to draft? What is the first, what is the biggest quality you look for? And not, I said it doesn't have to be physical or mental. And they all, 95% of them all told me what they wanted. They all wanted a, a great character, a great person, like a better human, a good human. And, um, yeah, so pretty much um, they, I mean, I just, I would ask them, you know, certain specific questions about like, hey, what is your, what is your biggest, what is your, what is your biggest pet peeve when, looking at a guy when recruit you know recruiting a guy you know and and they would all and they and they would tell me a guy that's he's not selfish any person that's selfish arrogant i mean all of that type of stuff they don't like those guys they they throw those guys out the window and me coming from a small town you, i mean you know you just i mean i just that's kind of how i was raised parents your parents teach you to be humble at a young age so you know um that wasn't a big turnaround for me that was kind of okay that's how I already am. So, you know, I kind of I have a head up on a lot of people that go to these bigger, bigger schools because, I mean, hey, it's not really the norm. to like it's the norm to be one of those guys, you know, that that's one of those top guys. So they kind of get mixed in with the hype and all that. But I mean, me coming from where I come from, no guys with hype. Nobody, nobody plays college baseball like nope, like nobody even plays baseball. Honestly. So, I mean, me coming from where I come from, it's just it's kind of different. It, it makes you it touches your heart for sure. And make sure that you stay humble. You always know where you come from, for sure. So I know. So, yeah. To wrap your question up, though, um, yeah, that was the biggest thing I asked. Um, what do you look for in a certain player that you want to draft? What should, what are you not looking for? That, that's kind of what summed that up. Yeah. So I, I know when you were playing for that, that White Sox scout team, there were some guys on the Arkansas Sticks as well who were a part of that team. But who were some other guys who weren't on the sticks that you kind of bonded with pretty well and just built some pretty good relationships with throughout that week in uh, LA? Um, I can tell you a guy, um, Dylan Head. He's going. He was committed to Michigan. Now he's going to Clemson. He, he was. He was really, 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 really great guy. He's from Chicago, but um, yeah, he man, he's man. We we jailed really fast. Um, another guy, um, Dylan Quested. He's going to Arkansas. He's CL. Yeah, he, I mean, great guy. I, lo- I love him. I love all them guys. Um, another one. Um, who is it? Jonah Conrad. 
another guy going to Arkansas. He was recently committed to Arizona, and now he's going to Arkansas. Um, I can say one more, one more for sure. Um, Adam Hackman. Adam Hackman. Another Arkansas guy. Big, tall, lefty. So, I mean, yeah, man. I mean, I bonded with everybody, but definitely the guys that are now going to Arkansas or pretty much um, those are the guys that I um, kind of jailed with. It's almost like they kind of knew they wanted to go to Arkansas because they, you know, they jailed with the Arkansas yeah. guy for sure. You yeah. know, so, yeah. So, so with, you play, so with you playing in an event like that and playing for the sticks these past couple of years, who would you say would be the toughest pitcher or even the toughest couple pitchers that you faced in your career so far playing with the sticks, playing at the area code event? Hands down, uh, Travis Sakura. Uh, Travis Sakura. Man, he's a big, big six five left uh, right hander. He throws it 100 miles an hour. It, it, it's so heavy, man. It's so heavy. It's so hard to hit. Luckily, he walked me. But um, <laughs> man, like, um, he's just—he's—he's he's really good. His stuff moves. Everything he throws tails left or right. Nothing is flat. And another guy, um, uh, Thomas White, uh, big, tall left, big, tall, about six seven, real heavy from the left side, man. And um, he his his stuff just was so good. Like, and it was effortlessly like. Like he was throwing probably, he was going 85%, but like the ball was just different. So, yeah, those two guys I were all the toughest guys. And plus, on um one of the Thomas White, I didn't even warm up. I didn't take any cuts right handed. So, I got in it, I went into the bat against him. They switched me in the middle of the bat, and I had to go to the other side. And man, it was just crazy. Luckily, he walked me as well. So, I mean, um, I kind of got the lucky end of the stick, but those are the two guys where I was like, man, these guys are tough. Mm-hmm. These guys are really good. I, I think you're like you're like the fourth or fifth guy here now to talk about Sakura about how he's the, the toughest guy to face. Obviously, I mean, that's mm-hmm. – I'm sure, I'm sure that's a thing coming for him with him being, what, like the number seventh best prospect in the draft next year. It's something something pretty yeah. high. But, no, he's I've – yeah. I've heard a lot of great things about Sakura. Yeah, he's really – he's a – man, he's a – dog like he's hands down one of the best best pictures i've ever seen my own eyes for sure he's definitely top two he's really good yeah so you mentioned there that you are a switch hitter i was going to dig into it in a little bit but let's just dig into it now um you you are a switch hitter so let's dig into maybe what what was your what was the side that you started with and then how that process went to become a switch hitter and try to hit from both sides um growing up i actually growing up i pretty much um used my left hand all the time so um yeah I always use my left my left side that was my dominant side my dad I'm a righty naturally but my dad switched me over yeah he switched me over and um he kind of just he always told me that lefties are more successful in the game of baseball so um yeah he switched me over to the left side and I, and then I kind of was having trouble facing the lefty on lefty matchup it, it was it was real tough for me I couldn't really really pick it up so um he was like I mean if you think you can do it switch back over do both and um I did it I tried it and, and I liked it and I was really really good at it so I was probably at the age of probably six or seven when I started switching full time and um yeah so I just always did it from there on I mean but definitely it's, it's, it's hard work you have to do twice the work what everybody else does I mean because if you take 100 swings on the left side because I mean you have days where the left side will look better than the right side and days where the right side look better than the left side. 
but you want to keep the swings the same. So you kind of take the same amount of reps from each side. So at this point in your career, what would you say would be the best side of your game, the right or the left side when you're in the box? Um, the left. I'm, I'm, yeah, the left. Um, the lefty swing for me is like, man, it's like, it's like cutting butter. Honestly, it's, it's, it's um, a lot of people would compare it to the, the Ken Griffey, the swing, like the Ken Griffey swing for sure. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I just had a knack for the lefty swing all the time that I even worked more on the left side at one point in my career. So I definitely say the left side, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I can bang it from the right side, but the left side is definitely my favorite for sure. And the best. Um, I definitely get more, I would say I get more torque and a more loose left side, right side, I'm more compact and it line drives, but lefty, um, I can go, I can go for the long ball for sure on the and, left side. And do you think that's because your dad kind of started you out early in your career as a lefty, or do you think you were just naturally better as a lefty? Um, I could probably say a little bit of both, a little bit of both, honestly, because, um, it's just when I, when I get in the box lefty, I'm, uh, I don't, I feel like nobody in the world can strike me out, honestly. I mean, I, I'm pretty confident in either of my both on both sides, but definitely that left side is where like I I do damage. I do damage on a lot of teams for sure. Just you know, being on their left side and having that that short, you know, just nod to the ball and just like letting it ride, you know. So yeah, definitely probably my dad keeping me over there, starting me out over there, and me having that confidence in my mind that hey, nobody can stop me if I'm on the left side. Like yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So, so have you found yourself going lefty-lefty? Like, are you more com- – are there some guys that you'd be more comfortable being lefty-lefty than going to the right side against the lefty? For sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done it. I've done it a couple of times. Um, I've, I've, I've had scouts ask me, hey, can you go lefty and lefty one time? And, I, and I've done it, and I, I usually succeed. So, I mean, lefty is more seeing ball, hit ball for me. On the right side, I, I think I get to thinking – I don't – I mean, I, I bang it. I mean, I can hit it from either side of the plate. It's not hard for me. Like, it's not a problem for me. But the left side, I don't know. It's just something about it that I just, you know, I just get happy inside when I'm, hey, man, I'm on the left side. Let's do it. I'm ready to go. So what, what's, what goes through your mind? What's your mindset there if you're deciding potentially, all right, well, this guy's a lefty. Maybe, maybe I might just go lefty on this at bat. Like, is there, is there certain things that you go through your mind that you're like, okay, like, I'm going to decide to do this, this at bat? So I base it off the previous at bat. If um say the right side, I'm just not feeling it that day, and so lefty on the mound, he's pounding the strike zone. I'm gonna go to that left side where I know I see the ball. I'm gonna bang it. I'm I'm gonna hit something hard. You know, it's just really having to being a mature person and having a a big league mindset and just knowing your abilities and what you can do as a player. So yeah, definitely there's times where oh, this guy's kind of more side on or he stays on the inside of the or if, if I'm on the right side he's kind of pitching me away so if I go to the left side it'll be more on the inner half so I can get my hands through and bang it so yeah definitely just having a big league approach and having a big league mindset and just making the right decision so yeah for sure there's definitely times where I, I will ask my dad hey you think I should go lefty on lefty and he'll he'll say yes or no if he generally thinks it. so if he says I should do it I I listen and I do it, you know. Of course, of course. So if you had to go through the mechanics of your swing, you can kind of do it lefty and then righty. If you just had to go through the mechanics of your swing, kind of how how would you go about that? So lefty, um, um, I'm really, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of, you know, shoulder width apart with my feet, you know, and um, I kind of have my hands up, the back elbow up for sure, 
and I'm and I'm real loose. I'm rocking. I'm rocking the whole time. It's almost like um like a dance. You know, I'm dancing, I'm dancing, I'm dancing, I'm dancing. As soon as the picture goes up, I'm at foot strike. I lift up. I mean, I have a big leg kick lefty. Like it is, it is crazy. Like I don't I don't know how I hit 90, 95. Like I don't know how I hit those things with that big leg kick, but I I managed to get a foot down. So yeah, um, I'm really big, and I just, you know, I, I take hacks for sure. <laughs> I take hacks, but righty, righty, I'm more. I'm, I'm saying get shoulder physical with the part, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of here, I'm just, you know, I'm just letting the bat relax on my shoulder, and I'm my when I when I kick, I'm I'm more of a put it pick it up, put it down kind of guy. Pick it up, put it down, and I just, you know, let the hands ride. Um, okay, when I'm lefty, I think about. I think about trying to um trying to um throw the throw the bat at the pitcher's head. That's what I think about lefty. Righty, I think about throwing a frisbee. You know, you know how you, you throw a frisbee like that? That's how I think about it right handed. So yeah, lefty, think about hit throwing my knob and my barrel at the pitcher's head. And then righty, I'm thinking about throwing a frisbee to a dog or something like that. Yeah. So if you had to flip it around to the, the let's flip it around to the defensive side of things. So on perfect game, you're listed as an outfielder and a shortstop second baseman. Um, I know perfect mm-hmm. game has failed me before when it comes about like position wise, but is that still kind of where you're at right now? Mm-hmm. Yes. Outfield, okay. shortstop. So as, as you move further along into your career, if let's say you go to Fayetteville, go to Arkansas, or you even get drafted potentially next year, uh, what as you move further along in your career, like where do you see the plan is on that? Like sticking in the outfield, maybe sticking at second or short. Like where do you see yourself at that point? Um, I definitely see myself in center field, um, for sure. Because I mean, um, I really, I mean, I there's nothing that drops in the outfield. Really, like I feel like if I can, if, if the ball's in the outfield, I feel like I can go get it. And not not more so of me being a great athlete. I think it's like me being aware, like. Say a pitcher's throwing real hard, I'm gonna shade this way because he'll be late, you know. Or if he's if the batter's early, I'll shade this way. It's kind of um always being two plays ahead, you know. Always put myself in the right spot, and um I've I've always had a knack for the game of baseball and just learning and you know picking up certain stuff and for my dad. So yeah, I've always just had that. Not just me being a great athlete and just a great outfielder. It also comes with me being you know being a being a smart baseball player and just playing plays ahead and kind of visualizing things before they happen. Yeah. You mentioned great athlete there, meaning you're not only just a great baseball player, great football player as well. So let's dig into that. So how, what's this football season looking like right now for you being that senior quarterback? Um, we're four and one as of right now this week. Um, we kind of, kind of um, laid an egg the first week, you know, it was rivalry week and we're, well, not as far as rivalry, but I mean, we beat the team pretty bad last year. And so, yeah, we just, you know, we came out flat. And kind of let the game slip away from us. And yeah, week one we did that, but ever since then we've we've we put the you know we've put our you know we've put our dogs on them on everybody we play. So I mean, yeah, it's going pretty good though. Um, I have a lot of guys that return all state um, wide receivers. I have a couple old linemen that that are young, but they played last year. So yeah, they came back and um our defense they're pretty solid. You know we have a great defensive coordinator, and um yeah it, it was going pretty good, going pretty well. Um, I was kind of nervous coming into this year because, um, you know, playing baseball in the summer, being you know out and just not being here with my guys, I didn't really know how it would it would it would round out. But um, it it it, it definitely came about a great way, and um, we're we're, we're in full force now. We're we're rolling all cylinders, all cylinders. 
So what's what's the outlook on this Friday? Are you guys getting a win? Who are you guys playing? What what's going on here? Um, we're actually playing for potentially the number one spot in our conference, which would be the conference championship. Um, team called Magnolia Panthers. It's rivalry week, so a lot of pride going on, a lot of talking, a lot of you know, just a lot of rah rah going on right now. So yeah, we're just trying to focus up, do our jobs, and get a win. Honestly, that's all we're doing, especially since we're going there. So it's definitely gonna be tough to lose win in Magnolia. So yeah, we're just gonna have to do our jobs, you know, and just. I'm going to have to believe by example, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, bring the guys in and make sure that they don't make the game bigger than what it really is. You know, just, you know, do all our jobs. Everybody does their assignment. You know, just come out with a victory. Yeah. So with Arkansas being so close to Texas, I know Texas people around the country talk about how good just Texas high school football is. How would you compare? Obviously, you've never really experienced Texas high school football, but how would you compare Arkansas high school football to Texas with it being so close, kind of that same region? Um, how would you just compare Arkansas high school football? Um, I, I I have a couple of friends, you know, that play football in Texas, and um, you know, I got a couple couple relatives, but I mean, they they describe it as college football. But I can say in Arkansas, if you don't, if a team beats your school, you don't like them, you hate them, you see them in public, you don't want to talk to them. It's just like robberies. You take those to the grave. Like I know we have two robberies. We have Eldorado and Magnolia. Which are we playing this week? So I mean, yeah, like um, like our like parents or go back and forth on social media, or kids bar stools. It, I mean, pretty much it's 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 kind of similar to Texas. Texas is just bigger than Arkansas. So it, I mean, the the rivalries and the and the competitiveness, all the same. I feel like because I've seen games get out of control that I played in, and I'm just like, man, I thought it was just a game, but in reality, it's more than that to a lot of people. So yeah, definitely. So with, with you playing fall ball, I'm not. I know you had the Jupiter here this weekend. Have you gotten a chance to play any other fall ball tournaments, or is it just Jupiter this fall? Just Jupe, just Jupe. Okay, okay. So with you kind of still, you know, still doing your training for baseball while being in the middle of football season, how do you how do you work around that with your schedule? Obviously, you're a busy guy. You've got your organization. We talked about in the beginning. Got football, and you've got your training for baseball. So how do you just go about your schedule each week, and how how do you just work around all the different things you got going on? I'm getting with my parents, getting with my advisor, and just you know making sure that um I'm, I'm I have my stuff lined out every week. You know can't can't go a week without being organized, or it it really won't work honestly. But um pretty much I wake up pretty early. I get a lot of training done early in the morning. You know, but I mean later in the day I um I'm I'm all football later in the day, but early in the day I'm baseball to the fullest. But yeah, it, it's not too hard. Cause I've, I've gotten used to it, but when I first started, man, it was, it was rough on me. It was rough. I was sleeping maybe two, three hours a night, you know. I mean, it, it was rough on me, but um, now I've adapted to it and I've kind of owned up to it. And I, and I kind of wear it with pride now. Me being as busy as I am, I, I wear it with pride, you know. I, I do it with a smile. So, I mean, I love what I do for sure. So, you say early, what time is that? I'll probably wake up 5 a.m., you know, run, I'll hit from like six to eight. I'll come do whatever I got to do at school. And then um, football practice will start at like 2.30-ish, 2.45-ish. I'll do that. And then I'll get out of football probably 5.30-ish. I'll train again, baseball at nighttime. And I'll just do it all over again so yeah. every day. It's, it, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely tough on me for sure. But, I mean, I'm kind of used to it. And, and, and this is the price. I mean, you definitely have to pay the price, you know, if you want to you be successful. You definitely have to make sacrifices, though. I'm willing to make any sacrifice I need. 
So do you see do you see your base your baseball game? Do you see that you just overall just your your baseball skill set? Do you see that evolving at a quicker pace once your football career is over here in a couple months? Um, be honest, yes, I do because um I look I look and see and I'm like man, if I'm doing this good, imagine if I only play one sport like a lot of these other guys I'm playing against or with. Because I mean, a lot of guys that I play with or against, like the top top guys that are up there with with me, you know, myself and other guys, they only play baseball all year round, twelve months a year, baseball, baseball, baseball. Me, I'm more of six or seven, eight months a year because the other months I'm playing football. I feel like if I trained and played and just you know played as much as them, I definitely, I definitely see my game come action for sure. Yeah. So before we started recording, you did say you were getting recruited for football as well. So let's dig through both recruiting process kind of at the same time, kind of take us through the timeline of baseball, timeline of football, Uh, just kind of dig into that when it all started. I'm going to go ahead and assume baseball recruiting kind of started first because baseball recruiting, it seems like it starts when kids are in like eighth grade. So kind of take us through both of those and kind of how they compared to each other. Um, Pretty much. um, Actually, my first time getting recruited was, my eighth grade, like you said, my eighth grade year. Um, um, it was the University of Eula, um, Arkansas Little Rock. And um, yeah, so um, I mean the process was pretty good for me because you know, the old saying they always say if one school is on you, all of them are on you. So yeah, it, it kind of took off after that for me after I got my first offer and uh yeah, so um but football it was totally different. Totally like um man, like I can say my first my first look was definitely the University of Arkansas. It was after I committed, actually. And um pretty much I can say that football is way more, way more looked at than baseball. So and what I mean by that is like you 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 actually um you'll find yourself falling in love with the game of football if you're not too careful for sure. So like um a lot of guys come at me with the Kyler Mary comparison, you know. You know the baseball and the football, and um, they always ask me which one I'll do, when, which one I, what one do they think I'll do, and it's always 50-50 football and baseball. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't even think I'm that good in football. But I mean, I mean, I don't know. So, but yeah, um, really the recruitment process for me and for for baseball and football was totally different. Like baseball is pretty quick, you know. A lot, I had a lot of offers, but I mean, it's pretty quick. Football, it's it's a it's a circulation of time after time like even now I haven't signed yet and I still get a certain amount of phone calls to my head coach and I'll just be like hey you sure you want to play baseball that's it is that sure is that that all he wants to do and yeah so I mean it's definitely it's definitely I'm there's top schools so I mean just me being able to be a part of that is crazy but yeah it's definitely totally different totally different so at the beginning of both those processes when you were kind of going through your initial phone calls with baseball coaches, your initial phone calls with football coaches, did they both like, did it kind of, even though they're different sports, did they kind of have a similar strategy of recruiting you or how would you compare some of those phone calls you had with different coaches? Oh, definitely. They, um, yeah, they definitely had similar recruiting, you know, recruiting tactics um, for sure. So um, yeah, they all pretty much would, you know, you know, they would schedule a visit, but more so of treating me like, a son, a lot of like I can say my contact with coaches were like father figure, uncle figure type of guys. So I mean, I was just blessed to have that around me because I mean, 
any like a lot of guys I know a lot of guys that have the um the wrong opinion on recruiting and they think it's just all bad and coaches are just um just want you want to use you or uh, I can say the least but um not for me at all um they all treated me like I was one of them you know I was one of their sons and you know just making sure that they want that they know that I want that I know that they want the best for me and not just what best for them and their program. So I want, I want to make sure I heard you right when you mentioned this a couple minutes ago. You said your football recruiting process started when you actually committed to Arkansas for baseball, correct? Right. It, it didn't start until my 10th grade year when I committed. Okay. So take us through what's going through your mind as you're talking to the Arkansas football coach or even just other football coaches after you've already committed. Like, was there ever a... Was there was there ever a thought in your mind? Okay, maybe baseball is not for me. Maybe let's let's go play college football. Let's or let's even go be a two way player in Fayetteville. Did those thoughts ever cross your mind? And then what did you do to kind of uh, back those down and kind of just focus on your baseball playing at Arkansas? So for me, so for me it was pretty simple. Um, I, I asked my parents for a lot of input on my um, my career, my choices. And and I'm kind of like, man, am I that good at football? Like, because yeah, I'm like I mentioned before, I, I really didn't didn't think I was that good, you know. I mean, I just I knew I was doing things that a lot of guys say they hadn't seen before, but I thought it was just the norm, you know, for a lot of guys. But yeah, definitely, what was going through my mind was, should I play both? What like what am I doing? Like, what should I do this? Like like oh my god, what do I do? And um, I, then you know the Kyler Murray comparison comes in. Always oh, going to choose. He's going to choose football, or a family would say no. He's going to choose baseball. And you know it's just it's a lot of chaos going on, and just it's definitely hard, but it's, it's fun at the same time. Because I mean, a lot of guys can't say they get recruited for two sports for sure. So I mean, yeah, in my mind, I'm like, man, what do I do? Do I stop playing baseball? Do I stop playing football? Like, or you know what I'm saying? It's certain certain things like that. But yeah, actually. Yeah, me asking my parents and them just giving me good pointers and, you know, just th- their point of view of certain things. And I want something, you know, came up with a pretty good decision as of right now, for sure. So as you were going through that baseball recruiting process, um, what are some what were some key things that you were looking for um, just in, in the school-wise, coaching staff-wise? And who were some of the schools that uh, maybe came in second or third compared to Arkansas throughout the process? <clears throat> um. The difference between Arkansas and the other schools was Coach Nate Thompson. That is the best recruiting coordinator I have ever came in contact with. Um, more so, he has a swag to him that is so different from others. The way he dresses, the way he walks, the way he talks. And it almost reminded me of, like, a family member that I have. You know, so, oh, man. Um, and Coach Van Horn, he's the most – most he's the best person I've ever met in my life. He didn't talk when the, the time I met him, he never once talked about baseball ever, ever talked about baseball. Every time we talk, it's how's the family, how am I doing mentally and physically, and what are my plans? Always, never about baseball. He's never mentioned to me about baseball, and that's what stuck out to me. That's always what stuck out to me. Not even, I mean, because I always wanted a place where I could play home. I can get the best education and, you know, the, be on one of the best top, you know, teams in the country. And they just checked all the marks. You know, they just they put a check on all the boxes. I'm um, another school was um, Tennessee, for sure. 
University of Tennessee. They were they were on my list for sure. They coach Josh Elander, he's a recruit coordinator there. He was um he was he was he was a great recruit coordinator as well. Um he just I mean he like once again treated me like family and kind of kept it real with me at all times, you know. He always gave me great input, great insight and he just wanted me to know that he wanted the best for me. And um um one more school I'd say for sure is um the University of Oklahoma State. Coach Josh Holiday. Man, my my bad. Not Josh Holiday. Yeah, Josh Holiday actually. Yeah, Coach Josh Holiday. He was um he was great. He was, he's the head coach actually. But he he was great. He man, he he taught me a lot of stuff that I didn't I mean I never knew about the game, honestly. Like certain certain tactics, you know, certain just you know, insights on the game. And yeah, they those were my top three, but I definitely I made the choice what was right, I feel like, you know. I had to go with my heart, you know, what my heart desired and for my parents. I mean, another thing, my parents fell in love with the Arkansas facilities. Oh, they were at the like in the candy shop. You couldn't tell them anything different. They loved the facilities, loved all the, you know, the the, the different, the different, you know, metrics and all that. So yeah, they loved that. I mean, I mean, who couldn't who couldn't love that Arkansas training facility? I mean, didn't yeah. they just put in like thirty, thirty-five million dollars into it? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I, remember I went to Fayetteville this past spring and I saw it and I was just blown away by the facilities that they had. But digging into Tennessee, Oklahoma State, what was it about those programs that made them so high up on your list? And then what was it that finally, what was that final step that put Arkansas ahead of those two schools? Okay, so um, once again, the coaching staff for Tennessee and um, Oklahoma State as well, but. Um, I, I feel like the, the connections and relationships I built with players that were getting recruited by them as well and the ones that were already there. So, yeah, definitely um, that. And um, the thing that made Arkansas step above, it was, um, I can say, it was Robert Moore. Met Robert Moore on the visit. And um, they always say he was a smaller statue guy. But I didn't think he was that small. And we met each other, I'm like, this guy's my height, and he does that on the field, and that sold that sold me. The way he talked to me, he, he talked to my parents. I mean, he treated us like he'd been knowing us for years. And, I mean, we just sat and talked for maybe two hours. And then he went and hit, and I, I swung a little bit with him. And ultimately, that is what kind of sold me on the, on the program because by then the coaches had left because I was going to a football game later that, that day. I think it was the Mississippi State game last year. Um, so yeah, um, pretty much that's what sold me for sure. Um, him just treating me like that, and um, I was like, yeah, this is the place where I need to be. If they're recruiting guys like that, this is where I need to be at. So that's what made them to step higher on my list for sure. Okay. So with you one year away from going to Fayetteville, going through fall ball as a freshman, what are a few key things that you're wanting to just evolve in your game before you head to a college campus and start playing up against some of that older competition again? Uh, once again, establish consistency. I mean, I feel like no, I, I really have nothing else to maximize besides consistency. And that is, I mean, that's the hardest part of the, the game of baseball, being consistent every day. So I, um, I always think about, um, like, Coach Bruce. We go back to Coach Bruce. He always tells me, he would be like, he always tell me, I'm going to quote it. Time, some days you're going to look like the best player in the world. And the next day you're going to look like the worst. So the third day, let's kind of go somewhere in the middle. You know, and that's what makes a consistent baseball player. You know, so he always would say, hey, one day you're going to go four for four. Next you're going to go 0 for four. 
So it'll two for four that third day. And he would always tell me that. And so that's kind of what I stuck by. I would always, you know, think about being as consistent as possible and kind of like not getting too down on myself because of how I'm playing. But yeah, that's, if I'm, you know, me going to Fayetteville, um, that's the thing I'm thinking about if I'll be as consistent as possible. Like whether that's being on time for workouts, first one on the field, last one off, you know, just being as consistent as it can be, you know. So being in Arkansas, obviously Arkansas really doesn't have any pro teams. They've got the Ar- Arkansas Razorbacks. I mean, they make enough money to be considered pro at that point. I mean, that program is making tons of money. But when it comes to watching pro baseball, watching Major League Baseball, what would be some maybe – I mean, I know the Cardinals are close. Like, are you a Cardinals fan? And then who are some players that you like to model your game after when it comes to just watching guys on the field? Um, I actually model my game – a lot after. Well, first off, I have to say this. <laughs> uh, my cousin, Jonathan Davis, he actually plays with the Milwaukee Brewers right now. And um, so he's kind of a guy where they, I mean, they compare us a lot. We're similar in build, you know, short, stocky guys. And, you know, um, they, we swing alike, kind of make the flying plays and outfield. So, yeah, that's kind of who I model my game after a pad. So, yeah, him and then the excitement of the game, Ronald Acuna and a mixture of Tim Anderson. You know, the um the the bat flip and the you know the the diving plays and the swag on and off the field. It's kind of what I model my game after because I I feel like that um the game is kind of getting boring. Not a lot of guys have flash anymore. And so I feel like that's what needs to come back to make people watch the game of baseball. Because baseball is kinda of at a at a low where people don't watch it as much because it's not as exciting. Because now I feel like that's kind of the new generation's job. I feel like I'm set here as a purpose to make it cool and okay to have flash on the field. You know, whether it's a, a chain on your neck or how you run, how you carry yourself, how you swing it, what you do when you hit a home run, certain stuff like that. But not as far as still respecting the game, but definitely having a little swag and a little flair to it. Of course. I mean, those are – I mean, Tim Anderson, Ronald Acuna, Jazz Chisholm's another, Javi Baez another, uh, yeah. Correa, Linder – I mean, Lindor – um, I mean, all those guys, I mean, they're fan favorites. I mean, at this point in the, at this this point in their careers, I mean, they're known for doing that flashy type of stuff. So that's definitely something baseball's going to be going to in the future uh, with guys like yourself. There's been some other guys who have talked about it here on the podcast about just, you know, bringing flash to the game and they just love th- showing their energy. But um, let's dig in a little bit to with the draft coming up next year. You do have a draft advisor. So let's dig into yeah. – your advisor selection process, kind of when advisors started reaching out and what was the reasoning for choosing the guy you were with right now? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you know. Um, I chose uh, Diego Bench and Blake Moss. And so um, they're, um, they're based out of Houston, Texas. And um, really the process for me was, I mean, I met a lot of guys. I met a lot of agents. I met a lot of agents. And um, really um, the biggest thing for me was how loving they were, honestly. They kind of treated my family as as like they were their mom and dad. And um, actually, the, his first client was uh, David Ortiz. So I mean, that's kind of a big a big thing. I'm actually getting to meet him pretty soon. But that's kind of um a, what was a big thing for me. Um, the way they treated me and um kind of them being real as possible. You know, them giving me the information that I needed to be successful. Because at first, um, I was dead on. Man, I'm going to college and I'm gonna do that. But they were like, hey, man, you have a really good chance at the draft. That kind of opened up my eyes to a lot of stuff. And the funny story of how I met Diego and uh, uh, Diego, uh, Diego and Blake, 
met Blake in um Dallas at a new Balance Future Star Series combine. And I ran the four, I ran a 60. I think I was 6'2. And then um I think I hit three bombs from the left side, and I think I hit two from the right side in BP. And Blake, he came up to me, he was like, hey, I did my homework on you. I've been waiting to see you for a while. Man, I, I think I think we need to keep in contact. I think um I can help you out. Me and my me and my boss can help you out a lot. And so um I always kept them in touch, you know, even through my process, you know, eliminating certain, you know, certain qualities that they had that others didn't. And the biggest quality was um the care. The care. How they treated me. How much how much they um kept it real in a way. Because um a lot of a lot of um agents I can say they kind of sell you a dream maybe. As I can say, a lot of them don't don't tell you the real. They kind of just um beat around the bush a little bit. But the egg on Blake, they do the exact opposite. They tell you the real, they let you know what it is and what it isn't, and they just kind of um keep you in the loop of everything. Like um they have a lot of connections, so if they hear something about me, whether it's good or bad, they're gonna let me know. And and if it's bad, and say something bad, which hasn't happened yet, if it's something bad, they're gonna let me know how to. What certain ways to fix that? So yeah, that's pretty much how we went about that. That's how I eliminated who, like who I wanted to be my draft advisor. So as as you were going through the process and going through the meetings, what when you did have some maybe some in person meetings with other advisors besides Blake and Diego? Well, how did those how did those meetings go? Like were there presentations shown? Uh, were they just kind of talking to you, talking about your future? Just take us through what some of those meetings were with some of the advisors. Oh, definitely talking about um the potential they think that I have and how much they I mean how good they think I can be if I'm put in the right um position to uh succeed. Um and then um a lot of them were yeah, like kind of like the presentation kind of things, you know, kind of you know, like a PowerPoint kind of guys, you know. I mean, which I love. You know, me and my parents love, we love organized organized people. So yeah, kind of like um sit down and get something good to eat you know, um, present their plan and what they think they can help me and my family with. And, um, you know, just kind of make a plan of, of what they think can be like the ultimate outcome of my career. Yeah. And so you said earlier that the, when you were going through the process, you were like, you kind of did eliminate some people along the way. So what were some mm-hmm. things that kind of led to eliminating some of the advisors that you did early on in the process? The the main thing for me was how safe did I feel and how comfortable did they make me? Can I say what I feel? And um, yeah, basically, can I say what I feel? So like some, you know, some some people don't take stuff as well as others. But with Diego and Blake, man, I can say it. It doesn't even have to be anything they can control. I can say it, and they'll try to. I promise you, they'll try to figure out a way to fix it and solve it. That's just how they are. Like yeah. that, 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 those are the type of people that they are. So um, yeah, that's the biggest thing. That was the biggest thing. Can I say what I feel? Can I say what's on my mind? And can I be as genuine as possible? And are they as genuine back as well? So with, with moving on from the advisor selection process, with David Ortiz being a part of this agency, and you said you're gonna meet him at some point here in the future, what are some things you're looking forward to asking Big Poppy when you get to meet him in person? Now, what is the big leagues like? Like, what is the main, what is the main hype about the big leagues? Not the money, not the um, 
not the crowd, none of that. What is the, what is the biggest, like biggest, okay, I guess I'm trying to say like, what is the, what is the biggest struggle coming from minor league ball to big league ball? Like, what is the, like, what is the big turnover? Because a lot of guys say different things, but I kind of want to get, I like to get different views of certain guys. And he's a Hall of Famer. So I definitely want to hear what the Hall of Famer has. To say. Of course. Of course. With your cousin playing minor league ball right now, when you're hanging out with your cousin, what are some things that you're doing to pick his brain just from all the experiences he's had these past few years playing minor league ball and just going through the process, you know, like five, six years ahead of your time? The biggest thing I picked up from my cousin is how perfect he tries to be. A lot of guys, they'll feel the ground ball and the, the mechanics might not be as good, but they feel it, so they're good with it. They're satisfied with it. Not with him. If it doesn't, if it's not perfect, he's going to do it over and over and over and over. So he instilled work ethic in me without even telling me, me just watching and observing him as we work out. That's kind of what shot me to like, hey, I want to do this. I want to work harder because of how perfect he wants to be. He, he, he strives to be the most perfect person on the planet for sure. Awesome. All right, man. Well, I've got two more questions here before we end off the podcast. Um, I kind of want to dig it away from the baseball field just a little bit. So when you're not on the baseball field, obviously you talked about your organization here earlier, but what would be some other passions that you have just beyond the baseball field? Some things you'd like to do when you're not training, you're not playing football, playing baseball. Uh, just what are some other things that you just enjoy with your time off? Um, I recently, I recently been um, golfing a lot. You know, golf is kind of like the thing that gets your mind off of, you know, sports, stuff like that. You don't have to think a lot, see it, and you hit it. So, yeah, definitely golf. And um, I would say um, being around my family and, um, you know, just um, taking that time with them for sure because I don't – in the summertime, we don't really get to have family nights because, I mean, we're on the road, we're flying here and here. And yeah, just really just being around the family. I love, I love, I'm a big guy on family. Um, so yeah, just being around my family, hugging my mother, you know, being around my dad, just having talks with him, my niece, you know, just being around my family, honestly, just, you know, having a great time with them. Yeah, it's always, it's always great to have that type of, that type of connection with your family and having that support system around you, especially when you're going through the process you're about to be going to these next next couple of years. But um, for the last question of the podcast, this is kind of what I ended off with, with some of the top high school prospects and some of the college guys I have on. But with name, image, and likeness being a new thing that came that's come to the NCAA uh, about a year and a half ago, with you heading to a college campus next fall and you having the ability to capitalize on your name, image, and likeness and work with different brands, what would be one dream brand that you would love to have an endorsement with or even just some sort of collaboration? Um, uh, funny. Um, uh, I do go by the, you know, I go by the name Prime. A lot of people call me Prime. I always thought about how sick would it be? Yeah, they actually make a drink named Prime. So it's like a beverage, like a juice. I was like, man, how sick would it be to quote unquote have my own drink? So yeah, that would be one of the, you know, and then one of the guy, one of the big top ones, you know, Nike, Gatorade, you know, those big guys on, you know, like commercials, stuff like that. So, man. But yeah, um, that kind of freaked me out. There we go. Yeah, that kind of um, yeah, those, those kind of brands like Nike, Gatorade, those type of type of big. Um, another one um for sure would for me would be um, like um, what is it? I forget what it's called. Like banking, bank. Like I'm big on like stocks. My family are like big on stocks. So yeah, um, I would definitely love to be. Like um having an NIL deal with banking and um just you know using my name the right way, for sure. Cause um I mean a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people 
kind of use the name the wrong way and kind of get involved in the wrong kinds of things when it comes to that. But yeah, me be the top like Nike, Gatorade, Prime, Under Armour, you know, just all those top, top things. You know, that's ultimately the goal. You know, you're definitely not going to start there, but you can definitely finish there as yeah. far as um, branding and um, groceries and stuff like that. So ha- have you seen that Prime Hydration that's come out? Like there is a drink that has has Prime right across it. Have you seen that? That's what, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, a lot okay. of people thought that was my drink. A lot of people thought that was my drink for sure. And I was like, no, man, it's not. I wish it was, but it's not okay. for sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's all the questions I got for you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I uh, really want to wish you the best of luck, obviously, this Friday. And then when you head to Jupiter next week, when you head to Fayetteville, go play in Arkansas when you're playing pro ball. I just want to wish you the best of luck. I'll definitely be following you these next couple of years, just kind of seeing where your career is going. Just really appreciate you taking the time today. And I love getting to know you a little bit more. So just really appreciate it. And that's going to do it for another episode of the JKR podcast. It's going to be episode number one of four here this weekend. Had a great talk today with Martavius. Really enjoyed getting to know him, getting to know more about what motivates him about his baseball career, some things off the baseball field as well. Um, so just really enjoyed getting to talk to him. I want to wish him the best of luck as he heads into his senior spring, heads into the draft potentially next year as well. Um, but don't forget, we've got three more episodes here this weekend. Tomorrow, we've got 2025 uncommitted Luke Flanagan going through that recruiting process right now. Then Saturday, we've got our first 2026 prospect on the podcast. That's going to be Spencer Browning committed to Arkansas, first guy in his class to commit to Arkansas. And then Sunday to round it off, we got Gideon Motes, another Arkansas Razorback commit, but for the 2024 class this time. Um, but for any more updates on the podcast, I mean, like I said, we've got a bunch more episodes coming up these next few weeks. Going to start doing three to four episodes every week. Um, but for any more updates on who's coming on the show, anything else, check out our social media. Check out our website. Social media is going to be at JKR underscore podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Um, and then our website is www.jkrpodcast.com. So check those out. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the follow button. And I'll catch you guys tomorrow.